Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Tensions between Ukraine and Russia have caught the attention of Western allies, including the U.S., the U.K., and Canada. The deployment of an estimated 100,000 Russian troops near Ukraine's border have some concern about an invasion on a larger scale than the Crimean annexation in 2014. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. National Post political reporter Brian Passifume joins me to discuss our country's response, why the issue is of concern to Canada, and whether there's a larger role for us to play in bringing about a resolution to the standoff. Don't forget, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, we're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Brian, we're hearing more and more about tensions between Russia and Ukraine, Russia, you know, amassing troops along the border with Ukraine. But for those who haven't been necessarily paying attention to what's going on in Europe, what exactly is the situation on the ground that has people so concerned? It's just such a complex story. It really, it's 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 almost the history of of, of the Soviet Union and Ukraine itself. It's, it's people know that you know, Ukraine used to be part of the Soviet Union, and after the after the Soviet Union collapsed, it uh, turned into a, a lot of different independent states that uh, you know clung to the old ways as uh, stringently or as, as loosely as, as they liked. But mm-hmm. what we're looking at here is we're looking at uh, Vladimir Putin's attempt to almost rebuild the Soviet Union. He annexed the Crimea a few years ago and really caused a little bit of a ripple around the world stage, but not enough to actually force it to do anything. But, uh, you know, this time it's a bit different. You've got, um, you know, upwards of, you know, 100,000 Russian soldiers on the border and uh, NATO is kind of going out of its mind as to what to do. But, uh, Really, what we're looking at here is we're looking at attempts to create a counter-revolution in a former Soviet state that Russian hopes to bring back into the fold as it At this point, are there legitimate fears of a Russian invasion? I know like 100,000 troops on the border. It sounds pretty ominous. Is Moscow looking to annex more of Ukraine like they did the Crimean Peninsula several years ago? Or are they looking potentially to a quick invasion, overthrow the government, install a puppet regime, and then troops go back to Russia, but Moscow pulls the strings. That's what a lot of people think. Whatever's going to happen is pretty much going to be decided pretty much in, in Putin's mind and the minds of his advisors. You know, Putin's got a bit of a unique situation. A lot of people describe him as a, as a bit of a pragmatist, but at the same time, he's, he's walking a very, very narrow tightrope between his business interests, his interest of the country, and the ultranationalist leaders who have his ear. You know, his, a lot of his circle are a lot of these really hardcore hard-line ultranationalists who kind of see this as, as reclaiming land that was taken after the, uh, the Soviet Union collapsed. Mm-hmm. So as to what anybody's true intentions are, if anyone's guessing right now. Obviously, 
Putin has been on the minds of a lot of Western leaders over the last 15 plus years. Looking at this specific move by Putin, what has been the response of the West, you know, generally, but also specifically Canada? I assume that people like Joe Biden, Boris Johnson, obviously concerned about this, but what has Justin Trudeau and his government had to say about this? Are we promising money? Are we promising weapons for the Ukrainian military? Or are we sending troops over there? Initially, the uh, it was uh, 150 million. That's uh, 130 or 150. The the money that uh, initially the Canadian government pledged money to send over to Ukraine, and you know with the proviso that it not be used for weapons. But what what else could it be could it be used for? Mm-hmm. And, and there was a story in the Ottawa Citizen yesterday about a Canadian's arms cash that was originally going to be sent uh, to help the Kurds is actually most likely going to be sent uh, to, to the Ukraine. And it's it's a $10 million package of small arms, anti-tank rockets. Uh, it was promised to the Kurds in 2016, but that pretty much ended after Iraq raised some objections. And the equipment's been pretty much sitting in storage. There's a good chance that that might be uh, shipped to the Ukraine to help in those efforts. But against the behemoth that is the modern Russian military, a lot of people are questioning if that's even going to make a difference. At all. I, I think a lot of people are keeping an eye on what uh, the United States are going to do. Are they going to send troops to bolster NATO and to be that linchpin that makes makes Vladimir Putin change his mind about uh, taking Ukraine? Other than money and possibly this weapons cash, has Canada taken a strong stand on Ukraine? I, I know I saw a bunch of social media posts from cabinet ministers with signs saying, I stand with Ukraine, but has the federal government offered an official rebuke of the actions of Russia? They're holding signs. <laughs> that's, that's, that seems to be the uh, public extent of our, uh, of our of our foreign policy on, on Ukraine is, uh, is having cabinet ministers hold signs, which, uh, quite frankly, is, is, is so embarrassing. There's been a lot of uh, amusing memes created online. That's the issue that a lot of observers are, are really struggling with, is that for, for decades, Canada was known as the sober second thought, the voice of reason. The neutral wisdom that is able to come in and, and negotiate peace between two intractable enemies. That's Canada's legacy for decades. You know, we, we invented UN peacekeepers, you know, unless Pearson won the Nobel Peace Prize because of it. But really, we, we've let that slip. And I think that what goes on in, in, in Ukraine and in, in Europe has such a huge impact on Canada just because of our, our history and our ties and, and large diaspora here. But really, I think the problem is that the world isn't really interested in hearing what Canada has to say. Canada has no has no stock to, diplomatically in the world. We're being left out of a lot of situations the world would be would be right at the front table. We're being left out. And I don't think that uh, Canada really has the hand of the voice to really contribute much uh, before, during, or after conflict breaks out. There are ties between Canada and Ukraine. There's a huge Ukrainian community in Canada. But for the most part, I think a lot of people aren't really sure, like, why is Russian aggression against Ukraine a concern for Canada? We're obviously not a direct military target of Russia, but are there reasons that the Canadians should be paying attention to what Russia does and any threats that Russia poses to Canada? I think it's our distance from Russia that really would make us an ideal person to step in, because unlike a lot of European countries like Germany, who are pretty much being held hostage by Russian oil exports. You know, Canada doesn't have that economic connection to Russia that uh, a lot of the other nations have. And, and I think that's that, that's a real shame that we're not able to, to step in to contribute because there's not really Putin can do too much to 
force our hand. Like, for example, there was that cyber attack over the weekend that uh, took down the computer systems at Global Affairs Canada that came just after our intelligence agencies warned us that, that Russian operators could be planning to attack our computer systems. You know, I think that if we wade more into this, I think we're going to get a lot more of that because that's kind of the, the, the modern battlefield takes place online. Can Canada really add a meaningful contribution to that table? A lot of the experts have talked about and written stories uh, about uh, don't agree. I don't think that uh, they don't think that uh, Canada has much to offer, and, uh, which uh, is really sad because Canada really has the least to lose out of all of the players. We'll be right back. If you know worst case scenario happened, I think a lot of people are preparing for this scenario. But you know Russia invades Ukraine. I assume NATO forces could be deployed to help defend Ukraine. Is there a role for Canada to play here or would it be largely on the backs of the US and the UK and other allies? It'll be on the backs of the allies. I, I wrote a story the other day uh, on this exact topic. I spoke to Richard Schmuka, who's a uh, fellow at the McDonnell Laurie Institute and uh, quite a prominent defense uh, pundit. And, and he said that, uh, you know, everywhere you look right now, Canada has either a personal crisis or a capability. Crisis. You know, when it comes to personnel, for example, our military has, has a very, very serious pilot shortage. Uh, our, our military aviators aren't sticking around in their career. They're, they're doing what a lot of other military aviators do once they get to a certain age, is they, they go and work, fly for the airlines. And our pilot intake hasn't matched their attrition. And things like, you know, vital roles like, like sonar and radar operators, like we just don't have the people in the boots that we need to fill to to maintain any sort of a meaningful contribution to anything like that. One of the things that he's telling me that Canada's good at is logistics. You know, we have a, a decent fleet of C-17 and, and, and C-130 Hercules planes that we can use to take things places. But when it actually comes to boots on the ground, you know, Canada's military has been far too neglected to contribute anything meaningful. So essentially, we're not a mediator because we're not a big enough player in this. We're not ready to send a combat force over there. Do we act as advisors? Do we, I know we've trained the Ukrainian military in the past. Like, is it just, we're not in this case equipped to play a larger role. And that's exactly it. You know, it's uh, due, due to politics and generations of governments aren't really caring about our military. Our military has been overdeployed, underfunded, under supplied, under equipped for far too long. It really, there's no political will and, Canada to do anything about it. There was a column by, by Matt Gurney a few days ago, and I think it was last week, that Canada's having a hard time replacing the sidearms of the issue of their officers. It's the same pistol that they've been using for decades. And if we don't have the political will to replace a handgun, like, like what hope do we ever have of ever updating our CF-18s, you know, getting a, a modern generation fighter that can actually contribute as it is right now, you know, we can send squadron fighters over there, but really there's not much we can do because we don't have the uh, capability to really contribute to when we've got other allies with a lot more modern fighters, we have 35s and, uh, and, and so on. It's, our military has been left to rot with the expectation and the hope that the U.S. will always bail us out, but I don't think that's a realistic expectation anymore in this country. A lot of people have said for years that foreign policy isn't exactly the strong suit of the Trudeau government. What are the conservatives saying about Ottawa's response to the Russian threat to both Ukraine and potentially the global community at large. 
I think the opposition parties have the same concerns that the, that a lot of the observers have. That there's no will in this government, or you know, I, I think that they they hold the same responsibility to the previous government. Is that the conservatives can say whatever they want about the current government, but this isn't this is an issue that's four years in the making. This is an issue that's decades in the making. This is a responsibility of governments, governments, and governments previous that really saw no need to. You know, way through the political waters of, of spending the money that our military needs to to bring us up into the at least into the world stage. And I think that uh, you know we have nobody to blame but ourselves for that. I don't, I don't think it's it's solely with the the Trudeau government or the Harper government or anything else. I think it's just a it's a collective responsibility that I think no political party that has been in power for the past twenty years really has any any right to to criticize. While the world community watches and other countries prepare essentially we don't know what could happen next but we're essentially we're waiting for russia to potentially make the next move here right it's it's a stalemate right now both sides are waiting for the only blank there was a report today that uh, the u.s embassy in, in kiev is warning americans to leave the country whether that's just a precautionary measure or if there's some sort of intelligence going on because you know whatever whatever we know whatever is made up of because there's nothing compared to the knowledge that uh, intelligence brings to something that's never shared. So whatever we talk about, whatever observations we see here from the outside, really could have absolutely no bearing to actually what's going on. But uh, as to see when Putin decides to pull the trigger, it's it's just a matter of when. I don't think it's going to be an end at this point. I don't think that there's enough that uh, U.S. or any, any NATO ally can say that will deter Russia from its path of regaining uh, supposed former glory and i think that uh the west is going to have to decide when they're going to draw that line on the sand because after they take ukraine it's, it's going to be the baltic states next and mm-hmm. you know estonia and latvia are members of nato you know there so i think that when he ends up coming up and said it's going to be uh i think that's what NATO's really going to sit up and look when, when russia starts looking at uh taking back members of nato back to the fold i think that's when uh, the world's probably going to put their foot down and say look this nation really has to stop well, it certainly is an alarming situation. I know that many here in this country are keeping a close eye on Ukraine. Brian, thanks for your time. Thank you. Have a good day, sir. On Wednesday, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced Canada would send another 60 troops to Ukraine to bolster the training force of 200 we currently have on the ground, adding that number could double to 400. Meanwhile, Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland said Canada is supporting Ukraine because of a clear and urgent national interest, calling it a struggle between democracy and authoritarianism. American Secretary of State Anthony Blinken has said that the U.S. will not be making any concessions on Russia's demands of a ban on Ukrainian membership in NATO and a U.S. troop withdrawal, but added there is still a diplomatic path forward. 10-3 is produced by Sean Knox, theme music by Bryce Hall, Thanks to my guest Brian Passafume, more from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. <laughs>